Hello, everybody. Make sure next year back at it again to give you another exciting podcast episode. That being my Zarcast podcast episode 49. Golly, so close to the big 5 0. That should have happened a couple of weeks from now. Lately, what is it, the last Sunday in the month of January? Though, I got some plans for that one, so you can kind of look forward to that one, though. But um, as for now, though, Yes, uh, would it be in the month of January? It's still not a whole bunch of stuff going on. There is a few little news topics I was going to go ahead and talk about um, because PlayStation managed to announce a new accessibility controller. They talked about some of the sales of the PS5. I'll go over a little bit of that. And then uh, there was a Xbox Direct or Developer Direct is like what they like to call it. Uh, we have that coming up, though. So I'll talk about those couple of topics first before I go and jump into the meat and potatoes of the whole entire uh, thing for this podcast. That being my year in review part two, which will talk about all of the games that uh, we gotten in the second half of the year from literally from July all the way to December. I say all. You know how these year-end reviews go. Stuff that's most relevant to me or things I wanted to point out can't go over every single thing, unfortunately. Or we'll, we'll be here all night and into the into the early part of the morning, though. But yeah, so honestly, that's the stuff I have planned to talk about tonight, though. So uh, without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump straight up into that gaming news. All right, so first up on the docket, let's talk about that Xbox Direct that was revealed because um, they did manage to say that even though I say Xbox Direct, they call it a developer direct. And it's always weird with these Xbox shows that they always do because I always look at these and I'm like, man, they, they had some really long shows um, back in the day where it's like inside Xbox, I think is what they called it. And literally, it was like hours upon hours. I remember some shows being two or three hours long. You never would catch me sitting down watching all of that. I might have saw some highlights or whatnot, though. But they're calling it a developer direct. It's Xbox as well as Bethesda. So they're basically going to talk about most of the games are going to come out in the first half of this year, though. So we know that Redfall was one of them. They already mentioned that out in like one of their tweets or whatnot, though. And the other one, the other one that people were expecting, Starfield. Even though they say the first half of this year, though, they literally said in like one of their messages where they were like, hey, um, you know, for a game like Starfield, we want to make sure that we give it its own presentation because uh, it's like a really big, meaty game, though. And so they said, hey, that, that will get its own presentation. That will happen some point a little later on, though. So it'll be after that January 25th date, though. So we have that to look forward to, though. But um but some of the games that they'll be talking about those will be talking about elder scrolls online forza motorsport minecraft legends and redfall being like the biggest one of that though and yeah literally verbatim verbatim for what they said they said to dedicate the proper amount of time for a deep dive into bethesda's game studio starfield a standalone show is in the works so yeah, so that's some of the things you can kind of look forward to within that developer direct. I wonder if it's going to be more so with, I guess as the title suggests, it's going to be more so the developers kind of talking about it. Hopefully there's not like a whole bunch of fluff, even though, yes, it is kind of interesting to see what the develops, developers have to say on certain games like that. But when we don't necessarily have it in our game, I feel like there's a time and place for this though. But I think when the developers talk about this stuff, I feel like it might be more impactful or more substantial once you have the game in your hands so you can kind of see exactly what they went with the whole process because you actually have something 
physical and tangible that you can go through and play. So that way you can make a lot of references to what they say, though. I don't know. It's the way how they kind of handle this, though. But at this point in the game, literally you have Nintendo with their directs and you have Sony with their state of plays. So I kind of wish that Xbox had its own kind of thing that's similar to that because Nintendo has mastered it. The state of play has been coming along a little bit better because at first they didn't know how to close the events out or anything like that, though. But now I'm thinking they're doing a whole lot better with that, though. So, I mean, I think Xbox just needs to figure out something. Pick a brand name, whatever, though, and uh, stick with it and get within that formula. Because I think that's like the most efficient way of getting news out to your fans in terms of more uh, more recent projects or games are about to come out. Thankfully, they're they're not trying to get super crazy with their launch windows and they're trying to keep stuff within a year's span. So I always like that with Nintendo. They kind of keep their cards um, close to the chest so we're not waiting a really long time. There are a few exceptions like what? Metroid Prime 4 and The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom though, but it doesn't happen that often though. But yeah, so that's honestly what we can all look forward to with the developer direct right there. So uh, if you're a fan of Xbox, y'all got the first presentation of the year. The Xbox managed to come out swinging before Nintendo and before Sony, though. So y'all have that to look forward to. But I'm pretty sure that's pretty much all I have to go through and talk about and discuss, at least for that one topic. So let's go ahead and swing it over to the other one. That being um, Sony managed to announce its, its new accessibility controllers. I think it was like at a certain event. I think it's literally called, what is it, CES? um or something like that though but it's like a certain event that sony usually holds yearly and they kind of announce new upcoming hardware or s certain kind of stuff where you can run into their statistics on their software or not soft hardware sales and th that's honestly what you can look at though but at least with this one because i think what was it the last event that they did they literally showed the ps5 logo um the no shock or no surprise that not it you know people could have predicted that or whatever though but at this presentation, they literally announced these accessibility controllers, and I think that's a good thing that, you know, Sony is trying to hit upon, because I think technically Microsoft did it first, and with their kind of controllers, um, it's actually compatible. You can use it with the Switch and whatnot, though, so it's a little more universal with their controller, though, so that was nice that they got the, the ball on it and started it rolling, though, but at least PlayStation has its own version for it as well, though, because you know, not everybody happens to have, what is it, all their hands or fingers or whatnot, though, to be able to play, you know, games like how most other people are able to, um, assuming you have all your ligaments and, you know, fingers and, you know, phalanges and all of that stuff. So it is nice because, you know, you know people, you might know some people or you might know some wartime heroes or whatnot, though, people that are uh, less unfortunate to be able to, you know, have everything like most other people do and it is nice that sony is actually being able to address that so i really do like and really do appreciate that though now i imagine these controllers are going to be a little bit more on the expensive side obviously because if you look at the image here on the youtube version side of this podcast uh, you, you see there was like you got one controller literally being what would be like the left hand side of the controller and the other controller being for the right-hand side, though. I mean, just looking at it, I mean, honestly, you'd be looking at it and be like, huh, how, how, how can that be accessible for most other people, though? But I imagine they probably put a lot of research and time up into it. That way, it can kind of adapt to, like, pretty much, hopefully, anybody's uh, situation, no matter um, where they're at. So that way, they can be able to still play and enjoy most games. Um, that is offered on that PlayStation 5, though. So that is really cool, though. The other thing we got at this event was an update on their sales statistics. 
And we did figure out that, yes, there is currently a little over 30 million units that have been sold for the PlayStation 5 at, as of this point, though. So literally, this is like what reported in like early January. You can mm, it's literally two months off from the anniversary of this. Remember, the system dropped during COVID in the year of 2020. So a, like, was it two years and two months, basically? Um, not even two months, though, but we'll say two years, two months, and managed to sell 30 million consoles. So that's about, what, 15 million per year? So it's not a bad statistic considering how we had the chip shortage and all of that crazy um, stuff happening during the pandemic and whatnot, though. Um, they did report and say that basically the chip shortage is over, so they're able to pump out these PlayStation 5s to a whole lot more people people are actually have been reporting that you're actually able to go into stores now and be able to find these consoles now not necessarily have to wait you know for you to be online where you had to be like a best buy total total tech member or maybe you're like walmart uh what is it called walmart plus or walmart plus you know that kind of specialty service whatever though or you know, just anywhere else, whether you're buying it from Target online or GameStop online, you don't have to necessarily wait for those consoles to drop online for them to almost instantly sell out now. You have a chance now to actually go into the stores and buy those now. So that is pretty nice to know right there, though. I guess if you were to stack it up with the Switch, what I think by the time we get to March of this year, it'll be the Nintendo Switch will have sold a little north of 120 million units. And what was it at that time? What was it? The Switch came out in 2017, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. By then, it will be on the market for about six years. So 120, if we're going off at 120 amount, 120 for the six years, that's literally about 20 million per year. So if you're thinking about the PS5 being 15 million per year, it is a little behind the ball in the projected sales compared to the Switch, though. But We'll have to wait and see exactly, you know, how many potential PS5s they can sell within a fiscal year um, with no constraints behind the chip shortage or anything like that, though. So, yeah. So, honestly, some pretty good reports from the PlayStation. Glad to see that, you know, more people are going to be able to buy it and not just more people be able to buy it. But thanks to these accessible controllers, no matter who you are, hopefully you'll still be able to enjoy um, anything that the PS5 has to offer in terms of their software for whatever game that might pique your um, pique your interest or whatnot, though. So, yeah, I think that's pretty much it in terms of most of the topics I have to go through and discuss, um, just mainly, primarily, just those two main topics, though. And then uh, this should be the last podcast, at, you know, after I get done with the year-end review stuff, where we should be pretty light in news because starting the next podcast episode for episode 50, by then, we'll have a couple of games come out. We'll have, like, Fire Emblem Engage. We'll have Persona 4 Golden and 3 Portable and stuff like that. And I imagine some more news and stuff will probably start picking up. And then, obviously, I have some special events for 50. We'll kind of get more into the normal swing of things. And there'll be some more, hopefully, news to report on. It'll still be the tail end in the January, though. But at least by then, we'll have a little bit more stuff to talk about. Also, I'll be able to have the time to talk about most of the games i played since, like, what, mid-December and all through the rest of January, which... I hadn't had time to because I was focusing on talking about my year in review. So actually, I'll be able to take the time to be able to talk about that in the next podcast episode, though. So you can have all of that stuff to look forward to as well. But that's going to basically do it in terms of the gaming news. So now let's go ahead and jump on over into that year in review part two for the year of 2022. <laughs> 
right, so here we go with the part two for the year in review. Now, if you hadn't already done so, I did already talk about my part one, which talked about all the games releasing from January of 2022 to June um, in the previous podcast episode. What was it? Episode 48. That's where I went through and talked about all of that stuff. So if you're curious to hear about any of my thoughts on those previous games, make sure to give that podcast episode a listen. That way you can hear my full thoughts on the whole rundown from for the first half of the year, though. But Starting with the second half of the year, let's go ahead and start back off um, in the month of July. Because I feel like July, those summer months, we always have quite a bit of stuff that usually manages to come out in that month. And uh, the first on the list is Live Alive. That came out on July the 22nd. That game right there did some numbers, at least for me. It, why am I not so like crazy amounts? Because I think like what it was like exclusive on the Nintendo Switch. I think it what it might have sold somewhere between five hundred thousand and a million. Hopefully, hopefully it hits that million marker though. But that game was phenomenal, at least in my own eyes, because the fact that you were able to go through and uh, play through all of these different story routes in different points in time, you had everything from like the Wild Wild West to the near future where you're fighting with some mechs and stuff. Which oh my gosh, that. That that literally was like anime right there. Like they literally started off with like an anime opening right there. Though I was like, "Holy freaking shoot!" Um, they had stuff like that. They had the distant future with the, with the cyborg or the technically robot. Um, they had everything from like the past stuff where it was like um you going around. Literally, it was like an old cartoon. Um, you could think of like an old cartoon like the like the Flintstones, but imagine them not even talking. But the way how they kind of showed and addressed and basically through the character interactions the sounds that they made and the expressions they gave off you could essentially tell or what they were feeling at the time as the the story was progressing through it was an interesting story to tell between that what was it there was like imperial china um um japan one and a few other ones i'm just not thinking off the top of my head though and then obviously like a fantasy one that We'll say towards the very end and then the way how they all combine their stories at the very end of the game man that was just absolutely crazy we obviously won't talk about spoilers or anything like that though but it, it was a nice bite-sized adventure it was like what 25 30 hours at top something like that though but yeah honestly if you hadn't gone through and played live alive i highly recommend it because that's a beautiful stunning hd 2d game right there now next up on the list xenoblade chronicles 3 a stinking phenomenal game right there I, shoot if you hadn't gone and played that game i don't know what you're doing you need you, you need well after you're done finishing this this podcast episode you need to go out you need to buy yourself a copy it's too late to get the zoom chronicles 3 um special edition thing because oh man that, that, that was a debauchery going through all of that whole freaking shoot but this game right here these xenoblade games can tell some really good stories i if i have to do say so myself the way how they did the combat up in this game the fact that you can control six given party members at any given point and freely swap between them um while you're in the midst of battle is really cool the way how they handle side quests and hero quests where the hero quests actually felt more so on the lines of actual things that was like pretty close and pretty relevant to the story even though it technically was it's still technically optional but i felt like it almost felt like to me it was like essential because they they went pretty deep in that story right there though and i just love all the characters between noah 
and uh, Neo, their interactions between those two, and gosh dang it, that ending though. Oh, I can't, I can't talk about the spoilers. Um, and then you had um, Senna as well as Lands, and then Tyon along with Unita. Oh my gosh, it was just an amazing cast of characters. A very well done story. The the whole motive of the whole entire story just centered around life in general man it just hit some really good strides i was like man i, I can't say much more than this because I, I will have an upcoming video uh coming out literally this upcoming friday and i'll probably talk about a little bit more up in there though but that's just a little bit of a teaser um for y'all who happen to be listening to this though but yeah so honestly xenoblade chronicles 3 a really amazing game and one of my most favorite of the year all right, and I think that's pretty much it in terms of the games that have launched out in the month of July. So we'll go ahead and jump on over to the month of August, because on August the 15th, uh, we had Multiverses that managed to come out. And with Multiverses, it was weird, because I remember this one coming up to the launch of it. They had, like, all these open beta. Was it open beta? No, not open beta. I think it was technically closed betas or whatnot. So I never got into one of them, um, but... I think a couple of my friends did. And it was an interesting concept because literally like what? You have Smash Brothers and, you know, that, that game is freaking, you know, fantastic and whatnot, though. And then you had a game that came on with Nick All-Stars Brawl, which recently my brother actually managed to get that for Christmas. I managed to play with that with him on that game a little bit. So I have a little concept, you know. Um, and a little background on how that game operates, though. And then it was like Warner Brothers decided to take a crack at the um, the Smash style of game right there. And honestly, it was interesting because it was primarily focused on 2v2 battles. Yes, you could still do 1v1, but I think the primary focus on it was 2v2s. And it was crazy to think you can put all these characters together. You can put Shaggy with Batman and Wonder Woman with Tom and Jerry and... Uh, didn't they put my boy Gandalf up in there? I think he did, man. Because I, I was like, literally, I don't know if he's in there or not. But I was like, the second he's in there, he could be in there for all I know. I was like, that'll be the dude I'll have to go with. Because I, I have to go with the dude that's like, you shall not pass. I was like, I, I, I don't know. I, that had to be a taunt or something like that. Because I was like, man, I was like, man, oh shoot. But with this one, it, it was interesting because a lot of people were talking about it. It was blowing up. It's technically a free to play game. So I was like, okay, you know what? That, that allowed to bring a lot of people in. That allowed a lot of people to get up in there without necessarily have to pay an upfront cost. But then I guess you had all the microtransactions up in it, though. So I hadn't personally played it. At some point, maybe I will. Maybe some point this year, if I get some time, or I just ask one of my buddies to say, hey, just you know, tag team up with me. Let's see what this game's all about, though. But yeah, so that game did come out early August. Uh, next up on the list, Kirby's Dream Buffet. That came out on August the 17th. This one kind of came randomly out of nowhere because I think, if I rem if memory serves me right, I want to say that this one came out during a like um during the middle of a week, random week. They dropped like a Twitter trailer on their Twitter account and said, "Hey, Kirby's Dream Buffet coming soon." And later on, we found out about the date on it though. I think that's how that basically played out though. But literally, you're going through. It's it's like it's not really like an expensive game. It's really like a budget game. I think it's like what fifteen or twenty bucks at most on the Nintendo eShop. But um, you're literally rolling around as Kirby. You're going through these um these obstacle courses um like things, and you're literally blitzing through them, trying to collect as many strawberries as possible. And then by the time you get to the end, you know whoever holds the most strawberries wins. It's like split up into like what three like a few phases, 
Um, and you try to, you know, do different rounds leading up to that final conclusion, though. And yes, you can play it online or you can play it locally with friends or whatnot, though. So it's just a nice little bite-sized Kirby thing. Um, so yeah, it kind of came out of left field, though. But at the same point, Kirby always gets a lot of games and at any given point. I think, what, what was this? This was like Kirby's anniversary. Like, you had that. You had, like, what, Kirby and the Forgotten Land. You had, like, what, a Kirby concert as well. And, and a few other things Kirby-related, though. I know Bronto, my, my good buddy Bronto, uh, I know he enjoyed this year because, like, Kirby's one of his favorite Nintendo IPs. But, yeah, so honestly, Kirby had a pretty good gear. And that was, like, literally, like, one of the last games we had um, for Kirby-wise um, that came out in the year of 2022. So, yeah, a little short fun size bite size adventure maybe i'll get it at some point just dabble with it though but yeah it's just a nice little game uh next up on the list on august the 26th we had soul hackers 2 now this one right here was a game where literally within the the soul hackers series there was only obviously one game before this and i think like what it's playable on the 3ds that's one way you can play it though and I, I looked at this one, and I was like, okay, you know, Atlas made this game. And I was like, okay, Atlas, same people that made Persona, same people that made uh, Shin Megami Tensei um, series as well, though. It's, it's just another um, Shin Megami series game, basically. It's just a subplot being uh, with the um, with the Soul Hackers line, though. So I was like, oh, okay. Instantly, I was like, you know what? I probably will get this just because I kind of want to dive a little bit more so within this series, though. I don't know about, like, mainline Shin Megami Tensei. Maybe I'll touch it at some point, though. But looking at 5 and some of the stuff I saw in there, I was like, uh, it, I'm not going to go crazy about Shin Megami Tensei 5. But I looked at Soul Hackers 2. I was like, okay, that one seems a little interesting enough. I'll get it. I currently do have it on my PS5. It's sitting over there in my backlog. Literally, the moment I catch a breath, it will literally be the next game I play um when i start digging into my backlog a little bit more i tried through like a few of my games though but that will be the next one on my list though but i heard there wasn't like too many hot things that happened at its launch i know it didn't sell like you know extremely good comparison to some other atlas games though but i know that this game had a little bit of trouble um due to the fact that i think they just didn't market this game super well that was like one of its issues and then on top of that i heard about some things about the game when it reviewed about how i guess some of the dungeons or that you're going through it's like some of them are kind of generic so like the first time you might be okay with it though but the, the next few times after it it just kind of feels a little bit repetitious or whatnot though and not a lot of variety or whatnot though i think those like some of the two biggest things some things with their menus and stuff as well though but yeah, that well, that was just some of the stuff I heard off the streets about this game, though. But outside of that, um, if, if you happen to like the Shin Megami um, series and whatnot, though, you, you still might find that enjoyable, though. I'll probably have some updates in some later podcast episodes uh, whenever I do manage to go hands-on with it and I talk about it in my uh, What You've Been Playing segment, um, segment for my podcast, though. But yeah, so honestly, we had that game came out on there pretty cool. Uh, hopefully when I go through and play through the game, it's actually a, a fairly good game at, at best. Next up on the list, we had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Cowabunga Collection. That came out on literally the last day of August, on August the 30th. And I was looking at that, I was like, this one, I really enjoyed it. Because for the fact that, um, literally for the longest time, I wanted to go back and play through the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the arcade um, versions, like, like the original one, the first one, um, that arcade one, because I never managed to go through and beat it, though. 
but I managed to actually go through and actually um get this and literally I already had a fight stick that I had for my switch so with literally with playing with that fight stick on my switch it literally felt like I was back in the arcade and it was so great going through and actually managing to defeat that arcade game for the first time and actually see the ending of the game so that was a really nice experience right there and then also um what was it turtles in time that was the arcade version i never got to play so i actually managed to go through and play through that and beat that one and that game was actually really enjoyable too so i really did enjoy that as well um it's cool that you're able to go through and play this with obviously with locally with friends and stuff that you might be able to play with though and certain select games you're um you're actually able to play with people online as well similar to like you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge that released a, a couple of months earlier than this, though. But yeah, so honestly, that was really cool. It wasn't just those two games. You literally had, like, what, the Super Nintendo versions of Turtles in Time. Um, you had the Manhattan Project. You had that Ninja Turtle one where it was, like, a, the NES one, which that NES one was, like, freaking hard, man. I was like, I don't know what they were doing back in the day. Because I was like, I still never finished that game. And then I started playing through it on uh, on the Cowabunga collection, which, a little side note, though, is really interesting because you can play with it with any kind of controllers. So I'm actually able to play the NES games the way how they're intended because I'm using the NES online um, controller. I can play with the Super Nintendo controllers like that, even the Sega Genesis ones for some of those Genesis-style games, though. So that's pretty cool, though. But no, that NES-style game for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles freaking hard man holy shoot literally going through and playing through this same game on the cowabunga collection thankfully they had save um save slots for all of this stuff because i was like if it weren't for that honestly i would have not been able to go through and beat or get as far as where i would have been um for this one because there's a ton of levels up in that thing like holy shoot i still haven't beaten it yet because I, I paused, I played some other stuff, and then played some other games after, and I never came back around to I'll, At some point, hopefully I should, and finally, you know, lay to rest that NES game. Because, man, because I think the farthest I usually would ever get would be, like, there's that one level where it's, like, you go underwater to deactivate some bombs. And I always got past that, but then that next world that comes after that, is, I literally would die at some point in that world. And I can never manage to get past that. And then I'm um, in this version, I made it a couple of worlds after that. So I was like, okay, so that was really nice, though. So honestly, it was nice to get these Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games because I've been begging and pleading with Konami. I was like, please just give me my turtles on the Switch in some shape, form, or fashion. It could have been through the NES online, the Super Nintendo online, something like that. They finally gave it to me in a collection. And thankfully, they're not done with all their updates yet because they literally had a recent update where they put even like more games online like they put the super nintendo version of what was it turtles in time so now you can play that online with friends as well and then they did some menu options and gameplay options as well though so it's nice to still see that game getting updates like that though so honestly it was really cool to be able to have access to playing that um that teenage mutant ninja turtles arcade game once again that pairs pretty good and pretty nicely with my Simpsons arcade um, one-up cabinet. So literally, I have like two of my most favorite arcade games um, accessible to play at any given time, though. So I really do enjoy that. So yeah, we had that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Cowabunga collection that came out on the last day of August. So let's go ahead and roll over to the month of September because looking at the month of September, maybe there were some other games that interest a lot of other people, though. But literally, looking at my list, I only have one game. That was none other than Splatoon 3. Now, Splatoon 3, 
whole shoot in the lead up to it i was genuinely excited but it didn't feel like they tried to push it advertising wise super crazily like they did with like splatoon 2 because um, i felt like a lot of people already knew splatoon 2 they kind of know the splatoon formula now at this point it's literally one of nintendo's biggest ips literally up there with like animal with um uh, with mario um legend of zelda animal crossing you know all of that stuff it, it's like it's crazy to see how within a short span of almost 10 years ish it's getting close to 10 years i think like what splatoon 2 i think came out in like 2015 yeah 2015 um literally we're like what year eight and this thing is already selling game busters i want to say it sold like five million within like was it like within the first week or something like something crazy like that it's easily going to hit 10 million um fairly quick though but Splatoon 3, I love all the different changes they added up in there. They did add a little bit of a couple of traversal methods while you're able to use like um, squid surge where you can charge, shoot yourself up a wall real fast. You can do the squid roll where you can duck and weave back and forth and have like little brief frames of, of invincibility. So that's really nice as well. Um, they went in and added, they changed up how the ranking works where they have Anarchy Series and Anarchy Open. So basically they split the rank modes within half and they said, hey, uh, play solo with series, play with friends and open. Um, that way it gives you a little more options to play different rank modes. And then also um, they slowly, we're getting seasons within this game. So literally every three months we'll get new content updates. We already had one already that dropped in the month of December um, where they give you more game or they give you more weapons. Um, they give you more things that you can collect within the catalog, whether it's the emotes or the gear as well. And then also um, literally every three months, you also will be able to have access to doing the Salmon Big Run, which thankfully Salmon Run is 24-7 in comparison to Splatoon 2, so that's really nice. And then with the Big Run thing, um, it happens every three months where literally you do Salmon Run on a traditional, normal Splatoon um, 3 stage instead of on the Salmon Run stages. So that's really nice to see that. The game has all those updates. Yeah, tricolor battle turf wars um, during the Splatfest, a whole new feature right there. And honestly, what as many updates as they're gonna always get within this game every few months, this game is gonna feel quite different from when we originally launched in 2023. No, 2022. My bad. When this game originally launched in 2022, to when the game will get all of its updates because they're running all these updates for the next two years, leading all the way up to 2024. So yeah, so honestly, this was a really fun game. One of my most favorite games of the year. I already docked over 250 hours up in that game. Literally, the game has only been out for about, what is it? It came out in September, October, November, December. Almost about four months, 250 hours. Yeah, you can tell how much I like some Splatoon. It's like one of the few shooters that actually click with me. But yeah, so honestly, that was the big game for the month of September for me, though. We also had like, what, the, the Splatoon 3 Switch OLED, that also dropped around this game as well though so yeah honestly some really good stuff there next up on the list we, we're rolling over into the month of october um we have one game that i, I just want to quickly point out real quick dragon ball the breakers this one is uh it's an interesting one i do still have it on my switch i bought it during like black friday ish time or whatnot when stuff was on sale i hadn't personally touched it yet but it is kind of interesting how you go around like what was it squads of eight or ten or something like that um, you're literally going around, you're trying to do certain tasks and try to basically flee or defeat 
um, the major enemy who you're facing with, which literally will either be like what Frieza, Cell, or Majin Buu. And it, it's it's a kind of an interesting. It kind of reminds me of um, what was it? It kind of reminds me of Fortnite in some aspects, but it's not t- technically a straight battle royale. It's more like a survival or you know go all in and kill them or whatnot though. So yeah, you have a few options to basically win if you're like the regular people, and then obviously you can also play as the antagonist as well. And then you're just trying to basically go around and you know defeat all the people, or you know also sabotage their escape routes and stuff like that. I don't know. At some point, I probably will stream that game and make it a stream series on Twitch or something like that. Hopefully, though. But yeah, I just wanted to point that out that that did come out um, early October. Uh, next up on the list, Mario and Rabbit Sparks of Hope. That came out on October the twentieth. Now, this game right here, honestly, it was pretty cool. They changed quite a bit of stuff um, in comparison to its predecessor, that being Mario um, Mario and Rabbit's Kingdom Battle, and the fact that you don't run around on a grid base no more, you can freely run around open, shoot at enemies and stuff like that. It, it seems pretty cool. Um, the roster kind of expanded. Unfortunately, no more Yoshi. I don't know why they took Yoshi out or whatever, though. A little, little sad and unfortunate, though. But they did put in Bowser in spot of that. And I feel like Rosalie is one of those characters. I feel like she's an unlockable character. I don't know. I hadn't played the game, so that's not a spoiler. I was just, just throwing something out there. I feel like it is because you have, like, a rabid Rosalina up in the game. So it only makes sense, right? And it was interesting. And I guess, actually, in this game, you can mix and match your um, allies to where you can choose all Rabbids or you can choose all Mario characters. Because I think in Mario Rabbids Kingdom Battle, you really have to have, like, a combination of the two. Um, that's the way how that game operated. But at least this one, you can literally set up your people no matter which style of gameplay you want to play or based upon your favorite characters. You can play it in any kind of style that you want to. So that was pretty good right there, though. So honestly, and, and the weird shocking thing with this game is the fact that Ubisoft, and this is like way after the fact, literally this is like news that happened like within like the past week or so. They literally said that, um, they literally said that Sparks of Hope has underperformed. And it's kind of interesting how they said it underperformed when literally, um, I feel like it still did fairly good. I know it probably will, or eventually will sell up in the millions if it hadn't already done so of copies. I feel like most people are getting baited because they kind of remember how cheap that Modern Rabbit's Kingdom Battle is. Literally, because at some points you saw that game drop all the way down to $20. At one point you saw it drop down, I remember drop down almost all the way to 15 15 and that was like physically and then even digitally it would drop down almost down as low as within the 20s or a little bit less than that and be like the gold edition so that didn't even included all the dlc so more so there's a good amount of people out there such as myself <laughs> that um literally are waiting for this game to drop to be almost dirt cheap maybe get the dlc with it for a good price too before we dip in and actually get the game as well i mean not only was i only just personally waiting for the game to get a little bit cheaper though but there was a lot of games coming out in that final stretch leading through the holidays where i was like i just don't have time to go through and play this if i bought it it's just going to be sitting over there and then maybe by the time i actually do manage to buy it uh buy it or not buy it by the time i do manage to actually um get my hands on it and actually play it if I waited and bought it then, I probably could have got it for cheaper. So that's that's just honestly my personal thinking on it, though. 
But yeah, so honestly, I still think this game is going to sell quite a bit. The, the actual revenue of what it gets if a lot of people buy it on sale, that's yet to be seen though. But I wouldn't say it's like a drastic failure or anything like that, but maybe it just didn't hit the projections of what they might have personally thought it could have. But I think in correspondence to this, Ubisoft did say that they're really just only going to focus on their major hitting IPs, such as like their Assassin's Creed's and whatnot, though. So a little bit of negative stuff. I think this might be the final Mario and Rabbids game we might get, uh, especially if they're saying that that underperformed for them. So the fact that it's basically like a duology, we just got two of them. That, that's all right in my book. I don't I don't think we need like a whole bunch of more, but for what it did, I think it's pretty cool though. So yeah, so we did have that game come out on October the 20th. Now, a day later, Persona 5 Royal finally dropped for other consoles outside of the PlayStation. We had it on the Xbox as well as you can get it on Game Pass. It dropped on the Nintendo Switch as well. And I think there was like, what, a PS5 remaster copy of it that runs at 60 frames per second. Um, also, that dropped on the PlayStation 5 as well, though. But finally, 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 we managed to get Persona on the Nintendo Switch. And for all of those fans out there, I was like, I'm thankful that y'all are able to finally go through and play through this game. Because honestly, I, I was through waiting. And I was like, there was a lot of other games that was coming out on the PlayStation 5 that also piqued my interest. I got it in the year, like, 2021 during the summer. And I, I got the PS5. Literally a week later, I bought Persona 5 Royal. It's, like, one of the first few games I went through and actually fully beat, though. But, yeah, so that was a really amazing game. It was a game that was so good that I actually managed to double dip on it. I did buy a Switch version of it via the limited edition that Sega was selling on their store. Dang, that stupid shipping, though. I was like, what the heck? I don't know why they charge an arm and a leg for some of their stuff they sell out of that store, but I was like, what the heck? But I wanted to get something limited edition for one of my most favorite third-party games of all time. So I was willing to double dip for a game I actually enjoyed because I don't normally do that a lot unless it's technically a remake, but then by a remake extension, it's not necessarily double dipping, though. But yeah, so honestly, yeah, so now I can play it on the Switch. I can play it on the PS5, um, whichever one of those systems I feel up to my fancy, though. But I think it has its advantages for being on the Switch, so that way you can literally pick it up, play it out in small little bursts, no matter where you are, and you're not just necessarily tied up to your TV I'm going through, because that is a big, beefy game. We're talking about upwards to like 120 hours-ish, especially if you wind up doing the uh, the royal content that's tacked on with the third semester, as long as you do like your right stuff leading up to it, so that way you don't get necessarily locked out of that route, though. But yeah, so honestly, some really good stuff. Glad to see Persona finally make the jump over um, to other consoles as well. And we also had news that technically, yes, Persona 3 Portable and 4 Golden were coming to like the Switch and Xbox and all of that stuff a little bit later. And that happens to be out um, coming out in the month of January, which literally is from the time of this um, from the time of this podcast, literally going to come out. Was it today? Sunday. Literally going to come out in like four days from now. So we don't have much longer. Um, to wait for Persona 4 Golden and 3 Portable to come out, though. But it was a nice to have that announced at the, um, what was it? It was like one of Nintendo's partner showcase, third-party uh, third partner showcases, whatever, though, um, that literally showcased off that event. Wait, wait, hold on. Was it that or was it a Fall Direct? Shoot, I can't remember at this one. I think maybe it was a Fall Direct. I, mm, I, no, maybe it was a Fall Direct. Golly, it's, it's sometimes hard to kind of keep all of this stuff um, situated and sorted out right. 
but yeah, so honestly, really good news. Glad we finally had Persona on the Switch. So if you're a big Smash player and you wanted to see where this character come from, now you have that open to you. Uh, next up on the list, I have Bayonetta 3 that came out on October the 28th. Now, Bayonetta 3, huh, golly, that was an interesting lead up to release date because there was so much controversy that was going around with this game and the lead up to it with Helena Taylor and the voice actors and stuff like that. The original voice actor of Bayonetta went in Bayonetta's 1 and 2. She literally came out and said, hey, uh, they're not paying me enough for this role. They're undercutting me and all of this stuff. She basically lied about quite a bit of stuff. Turn around, we tried to, go, you know, a lot of different news outlets were reporting on this and stuff like that, fact-checking and all of this stuff. It turns out that uh, she wasn't telling the truth or necessarily the whole truth or whatnot, though. So it kind of gave her a bad reputation. Literally, I remember Platinum Games literally had to come out and make a statement on their Twitter account about the whole um, story and whatnot, though. It was, it was some major news. I live reported back on it on one of my um, Zarkast podcast episodes. Uh, you can find that one out there on, on my channel if you wanted to, or on whatever podcast server you're listening to this on right now, if you wanted to hear about that whole, <laughs> about that whole scenario and whatnot, though. But yes, but honestly, the, the big main thing we pulled out of that was like, hey, voice actors should be paid a little bit more so for their work, though. Is this unfortunate how she went about kind of bringing it up and basically almost maybe have ruined her whole career? So I don't think we'll probably see her coming back in voice and uh, Bayonetta in the future. More than likely not because she probably broke NDA and all of that stuff, though. So, yeah, a little bit unfortunate, though. But as for the game itself, it seems to be pretty solid. I think some people were kind of mixed on the ending, though. But overall, it, it was just a fine bayonetta game wasn't nothing super great or nothing like that but i think most bayonetta fans they found the game to be pretty okay not maybe as good as maybe bayonetta 2 or something like that with something on the lines of that but it turned out to be a pretty good okay game at best now that's pretty much it in terms of most of the games that came out for the month of october so now let's go ahead and jump over into the month of november because with this one on november the 8th we had the release of Sonic Frontiers. Man, man, oh man, this was crazy with the lead up to this game, <laughs> similar to Bayonetta 3, where um, I remember back in the summertime when they did um, IGN's first, and that was the first showcase of Sonic within Sonic Frontiers, a lot of people were super skeptical. They were like, what? This combat is kind of bland. It, get, it looks kind of boring. Like, you're just going to do this over and over? What are these little puzzles for and all of this stuff? I've never seen a game go from that and doing a complete 180 to the point of launch where once we had it at launch and people started going hands-on with the game, they're like, oh, this is actually a solid Sonic game. Now, I didn't manage to pick it up at launch. I picked it up a little later, like closer to when Black Friday deals started happening because I managed to snag it for like $40. And I was like, oh, okay, for that price, that's pretty good. And I, you know, it went into my backlog. I didn't manage to play it until literally um, this early part of 2023 in the month of January. I literally just finished this game yesterday. And, oh, shoot, th this game is actually really good. I didn't think the open zone aspect of it would have been really good, but it, it kind of grew on me the more and more I ran through there. They have certain areas set up in zones where it's like you have 
there's literally traditional levels up in there, like your traditional 3D levels and whatnot, though. The ones that were acting like 2D levels kind of sucked. I wasn't really a big fan of that, though. But with the 3D ones, I I, I thought they were really good. I, I think out of most 3D ones, there might have been a couple of annoying ones when you're trying to go through and get all those red rings. But outside of that, if there was a 3D um, level within those traditional Sonic levels, um, I, I enjoyed almost every single one of those. The bosses were really cool. The level up system with your speed, maximum rings, attack, and defense was interesting. Though, if they were to do a sequel of Sonic Frontiers in the future, I hope they kind of make that a little bit better because you can cheese it quite a bit by doing the big fish and whatnot, though. Like that, like you literally could probably max out all your stuff within the first world and thus, by extension, make everything else you do after the fact within your next islands that you explore after that um, make it significantly easier though but i won't go much more into that otherwise i'm basically reviewing the game at this point though but honestly i thought the game was pretty solid pretty enjoyable and it'll be i'm curious to see what will be up next for sonic fans in terms of the next game that comes after sonic frontiers will it be necessarily an, another open zone area open zone game where it kind of feels open world but not necessarily or will we go back to like traditional 3D Sonic? Who knows at this point? Who knows? But, you know, the Sonic team, they might be on to something. They might be on to something. But yeah, so that was it for um, that right there. Uh, next up, God of War Ragnarok came out literally a day later after Sonic Frontiers. Literally the very next day, November 9th. And for, for all I can see on this game, a lot of people really did like and enjoy this. It does seem like, at least with this game, it is going to be a duology. So you have, you know, the God of War, originally from the PS4, and then you have Ragnarok that came out on this. So it's the only two that are going to be considered in its own series. So at least with this, I think a lot of fans really did like and enjoy this game. Um, from what I heard, the story seemed to be pretty cool. Um, some people were kind of mixed on the ending note, but it does lead into questions like what would be next in terms of this uh, God of War series? Do they pick like a different person? Do they move from like um, Norse mythology, jump back over to maybe Greek mythology or maybe go with Egyptian? I don't know. There, there's a lot of room and flexibility in terms of where they can basically take this series next, but it does seem like in terms of, you know, in terms of our big boy over here, um, it does seem like it's the end of his storyline right here, though. So, honestly, pretty good. Maybe at some point I'll probably will go through and play this game, or at least play, you know, the first one, the 2018 version of the game. Maybe I'll go and play that at some point, though. But at least for most PlayStation users, there, there were th honestly when it came down to the game of the year, it was literally between this, um, between God of War Ragnarok and Elden Ring was literally like the only two that we probably knew that could have it chance at winning um game of the year because it was like almost a foregone conclusion most people knew that Elden ring was going to win it but god of war was the only one that could really almost stand up to it at this point though but yes honestly that game came out seemed pretty solid seemed pretty solid enough um and then after that pokemon scarlet and violet that came out on november the 18th now this game right here oh, oh freaking shoot man this game the lead up to it, I thought it was I thought it was pretty okay. I like how they kind of keep their hands kind of close to their chest, and they only show like a limited amount of Pokemon. They don't even show like the final evolutions because I remember like what back in the Sun and Moon days, 
they literally showcase off every little bit of news or every little bit of things where we almost knew the whole entire game before we even played it. And thankfully, they don't even do that anymore. And um, I think once we had our hands on the game, the biggest thing that glared out with most people was the performance. The game would drop in frames. You would literally glitch out. The game would crash on you. They do a whole bunch of stuff that people were reporting on. You literally saw, like, what? Your character, like, grow super big or the Pokemon grow super big or whatever. Like, largely bigger on scale than what they actually should supposed to be. And honestly, I was looking at all that. I was like, dang, this is crazy. Even when I was going through and playing through the game, the game actually crashed on me. So, yes, the performance, I think, was the biggest thing that was hitting this game. Because other than that, if the performance was up to snuff, I think this game would have potentially blown up really big, even more so. But I say would have blown up. It still technically blew up because it blew all of the uh, the previous records for any game that dropped on a Nintendo console in history. Because I think on launch day, golly, I'm trying to remember what's the actual uh, statistic. Because I think within like the first few days, was it upward to eight or ten million? um copies sold within the first few days um for pokemon scarlet and violet hold on let me let me look this up here many copies scarlet yeah 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 so literally globally in the span of 72 hours so that was three days it sold upward north of 10 million copies that was by it blew every game out of the water. We had a lot of games that blew up within like the first few days, but none to the level of Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. So I was like, that that in itself is absolutely crazy to the Z. Just within the span of a few days. And literally, if you were to, you know, iron out the um if you're ironing out the performances. Oh, shoot, they would have been on to something right here, though. And that didn't even include it going into the holiday season. That was, like, right at the launch. So I'm curious to know exactly by the time we hit to the end of the fiscal year um, how many copies of Scarlet and Violet will actually have sell. Because I know they got more in plan for this game. And lately, it was, like, what, maybe a couple or a few weeks after the game has dropped? Even Nintendo came out with a statement saying, yeah, um, we listened to player feedback um, quite a bit. And we're always going to deliver a quality product. And basically on the lines of expect some patches in the future. That That's what we can basically look forward to within this game now. And we know that a patch is supposed to be coming, I think, roughly around the month of March when they're supposed to try to incorporate um, Pokemon Home up into the system as well. So at that point where you're able to transfer and put any kind of Pokemon into Home or Home back into um into your switch versions of these copies of games um we should get a update on that now granted whether or not we're going to get like a sizable performance upgrade or whatnot though or does it fix mainly bug crashes that's going to be yet to be seen though but there is going to be plans on that though so overall it was a pretty good fun game nice to see that it was like open world um for the first time and it kind of reminded me of legends Arceus in some aspects in some aspects better some aspects i still kind of prefer um legends rcs but overall it was a fun game literally the only thing i need to go through now is finish the last bit of post game catch the four um four legendaries i think i'll be about done with the game 
until they drop some DLC, which inevitably it will be coming at some point. Literally, you can look up in the northeast corner of that map and you can tell that there are some areas that you cannot touch and that just looks super unnatural. So you know there's going to be something up there in that map that's going to be unlocked via DLC or something like that. Probably be announced around Pokemon Day, which should be coming up, what was it, February the 27th. So yeah, here fairly soon for that though too. But yeah, so that's going to basically do it in terms of all of the games that we gotten within the month of November that I wanted to talk about. Last up, we got a couple more in the month of December. And with December, we have Dragon Quest Treasures. That game came out on December the 9th. I know that's a game my good buddy Sonic U uh, was going through and playing. I know he's been going through and chugging along in this. And I know if he were here, he'll be able to actually give some of his thoughts up on this, though. But um with this game though it, it does seem nice that we actually have another dragon quest game that actually kind of focuses on eric um going through and what what is uh what was it his sister i think and i think his name was eric but um going through and basically hunting for treasure but you're also having like monsters egg you by your side so it's a, it's a little different combination though but it is one of the dragon quest um projects that was announced back in there was like a big dragon quest direct thing or whatever i remember streaming or whatnot and watching it with sonic q though but this is like one of the few things um that they announced during that presentation though and i think like what the next one of the next few things that we have is uh that will be coming up will literally be um we know that Dragon Quest 3 HD2D is coming up here fairly soon. And then obviously Dragon Quest 12. That's that's going to be a pretty big and massive game right there. It might be a little on the darker side, though. But having a little more Dragon Quest is always good in my book, though. So, yeah, that did come out in the early part of December. And then one of the last but not least notable games I want to mention was Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion Man's to drop. Originally, they had it slated to winter. Luckily, it managed to fall into the, the very last bit of December right here for that year. And honestly, I never went through and played through Crisis Core myself at all, period. So I never knew about Zack and the stuff in the, the pre-log of events that led up to the events of Final Fantasy VII. But it was nice for me to go through and be able to experience this because, you know, through this thing, because I think this is like one of the few games that was left on the PlayStation Vita and um, or Vita or Portable. It was one of those two um, and never made the jump over to consoles unless you were like playing with like the PlayStation TV thing or whatever, though. But from what I heard from most people, that was like an iconic game on that system. And it, it's like literally if you mention that system, it was like one of the first things that probably anybody would probably bring up or whatnot though though but now it's kind of nice to know where that that whole reference where that meme where it's like zach says me goongaga like now i actually understand where that came from i always saw it all over the place on twitter though but now i can actually uh you know now i have some context for that though but honestly that game was uh it was really nice being able to pop all your different um be able to pop off all your different attacks you know, pop off all your magic and stuff like that. And then the story that it also told, I was like, it put a lot of stuff retrospectively to the knowledge of what I knew about Final Fantasy VII and then finally pieced together all those information. So it was really nice to see that though. But the interesting thing to note is the timing of it, of them releasing this game. And we know that Final Fantasy VII 
um, rebirth is literally coming out this upcoming winter. Could slip into the very end, maybe December again for 2023, or probably be the early part of the year 2024, depending on how much they want to space Final Fantasy 16 that comes out literally in the month of June, though, before it, though. But it's interesting how they drop that out, because when you look at that trailer, you literally see Zach bringing up um, Cloud upward to what seems to be looking like Midgard or whatever, though. And then you also saw Sephiroth walking. You saw, like, those feathers from the, the one-wing angels and all of that stuff. I have a feeling there's a reason why they brought back Crisis Core right before Rebirth, because I feel like they're going to be hitting some of those moments in Crisis Core and incorporating that within the baseline Final Fantasy VII remake series with Rebirth. I feel like that's the main reason why, though. But honestly, it was a really great, phenomenal game. Really nice. I did manage to stream that on Twitch, at least my second half of it. So if you want to check that out, um, it's not available on Twitch anymore. Because for some odd reason, Twitch only likes to keep videos as long as you're not like a partner or whatever. I only like to keep it up there for a week. But those um, four parts that I have, they're on my extras channel, though. So you can go ahead and check that out over there, though. But yeah, that's pretty much it in terms of all the stuff I have to talk about within my year in review. And that basically does it um, for my whole entire year in review for 2022. So, yeah, so I talked about the first part of all the games that came out from January to June um, within my episode 48 of my Zarcast podcast and just concluded everything from July to December for my part two here in this podcast, though. So, honestly, a lot of games have came out this year, a whole bunch that I actually managed to go through and play, and then a whole bunch that I know some of my friends have played or just some notable ones I know a lot of people in the community have gone through and played, though. But 2022 was overall a really good and solid year for gaming, though. But I think 2023 might be even better, though. But holy shoot, yeah. A lot of stuff came out this year. A lot of good things. But let me know in the comments if you happen to be watching this on the YouTube version or just at me on Twitter or whatnot, though, if you listen to the uh, the audio version of this podcast, though. Let me know what were some of your most favorite games that you managed to go through and play this year. Whether it's the new stuff, in 2022 that I all went through and mentioned or even some old stuff that happened to be in your backlog and you finally managed to go through and do that because shoot there was a few games that I actually managed to work through some of my backlog in that year though but um obviously I was just only focusing on the brand new stuff right there though but yeah that's pretty much gonna do it in terms of that and that will basically um conclude it for my Zarcast podcast episode 49 now, normally I would have done like the what you've been playing, so about the show and all of that stuff, though. But at least with these first couple of things, it's not a lot's going on early in the month of January. I just primarily focus on my year in review aspect along with my couple of gaming news topics, though. But yeah, so that's basically going to do it in terms of this podcast, though. So if you really liked it, make sure to go ahead and hit that like button. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button and the bell to stay up to date on all things gaming that I feel like talk about and discussing here on my channel though if you happen to be watching this podcast on one of my podcast servers whether it be google apple spotify amazon music um etc um make sure to go ahead and hit the like go ahead and share that podcast around just let them know and say hey i'm just a dude that really likes gaming some pop culture things here and there though uh i just like you know sit down just talking with y'all um you know bi-weekly on the most relevant stuff that happens to come out though but yeah, that's basically going to do it for this episode, though. So remember, y'all, until whatever video I make next and until my Zarcast episode 50, which, reminder, uh, it's going to be a pretty big one. I, I got some plans for that one. It's going to be a special one. Never thought I would actually manage to hit 
quite up to uh, 50 episodes right there, but you can definitely look forward to that one. So remember, y'all, until the next Zarcast episode podcast, that being episode 50, I will see y'all later.